sometimes with evangelism, we think of evangelism as we've got to get this message across. Well, that's true. And we've got to get the right message across. But we have to get that message across through a changed life. And so, as we are taken amazed at the gospel, as we understand more and more of what Jesus has done for us, as we taste his mercy, as we see our sin, and we really understand the gospel to the point it changes us, changes our heart, changes our affections, changes the focus of our life from ourself to him, then we are able to take this same message to others with the right heart attitude. So if we're not changed by the gospel ourselves, it's going to be hard to communicate that to other people. We can give them the facts. And we have a lot of Americans who have the facts. God is holy. Man is sinful. Jesus died for them, and you must receive Jesus, right? And a lot of people can give that to you over and over again. The problem is, though, that message hasn't changed them. Not really changed them. They checked all the boxes. They agree with all the statements. But their life hasn't been touched by the mercy of God. We want to talk this morning... um, about how to obviously evangelize. We've been dealing with that now for several weeks. We talked about the gospel. Cody brought that several weeks back and what the gospel is and how we have to be faithful to share the gospel. If we don't share the gospel, then we have no power because the Bible says that the gospel is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. And the gospel has some pricks, doesn't it? It sticks. It hurts. Um, The other night... We had, you know, our dogs miss being on the 10 acres because there's no cows to chase. You know, you feel, feel bad about Samson. I know you're burdened by that. Um, so the other night, I don't know what it was, but it was scurrying up our tree, and it looked bigger than a squirrel. And the dogs were having a time, right? So the next day, I, um, I see Samson, and Samson looks like he has some white whiskers. And he's got these little spikes all under his mouth that he doesn't like having pulled out, right? Um, so he got the bad side of something. Uh, was it a porcupine? I don't know what it was. I mean, I was, it was little tiny spikes about this big with a sticker in them. They were kind of white. Anybody know what that is? Porcupine. So we had a porcupine in our backyard. Didn't know they were in Texas. Yes, how they get in my neighborhood and get into my fence backyard. I'm not quite sure how that happened. But anyway... So that's the way the gospel is, though, isn't it? The gospel is not just one lovely message of God loving you and he just wants to bless you. It is that we're sinful and that God is angry with our sin and he's calling us to repent. And so for us, we need to share the incomplete gospel, the part about who we are, what we are, and the need for God to save us. It makes the gospel more beautiful when we see who we are. And see what he's done. We want to look today, um, to do anything in life, 
you need models. You need examples. And we don't really know that we need examples until we've been with an example and we realize, wow, this was really valuable for me to be with this person. Uh, I know that Josh, my son Josh, is in the financial advising industry. And um, one of the things about financial advising is, is you are pursuing people to help them invest their money. And you're pursuing them to invest a lot of money in what you think is a safe investment. And surprise, surprise, a lot of people aren't just eager to hand all of their money over to you. Right, Michael? <laughs> Not that eager. But they will, if you're persistent. And so, under one financial advisor he was with, he learned this principle that you have to persistently continue to reach out and contact people. Now, most people, most people in sales will reach out a little bit. And after two or three phone calls, they'll go, okay, I called them. They don't have any interest. But what you have to do in that industry, and a lot of industries in sales, is you have to continue to reach out, continue to reach out, continue to reach out, continue to reach out. And eventually, they say, hey, I need that service. And who is that guy who has kept calling me every week or every two weeks or every month? So that just, he saw that little principle take place as he was in that industry with this man. Very valuable. Uh, I think it's the difference a lot of times between success and failure in that industry is persistence. Staying with it no matter what the situation is. Well, we need models for evangelism. Evangelism doesn't come second nature to us. Okay? And so what we want to think about today is we need, we need, we need Jesus as our model. He is the master evangelist. And then as we grow in our ability to understand what evangelism is, then we need to find others that we can pour that into as well. We're all in a process of growing in our ability to evangelize. Some of us here are pretty successful at that, at sharing the gospel faithfully, regularly. Others of us are not. So we want to look first at Jesus as our example. Let's turn to Ephesians chapter 5, verses 1 and 2. Ephesians 5, 1 and 2 says, Therefore be imitators of God as beloved children and walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up as a fragrant offering and a sacrifice to God. So God calls us to imitate him. He calls us to imitate Jesus. And in this situation, he's being called to love other people. The way Jesus did. And this is the passage where we get into the whole husband and wife and loving each other as Christ loved the church and all this. But what I want us to focus on here is that for us to really love people, we're going to have to imitate Jesus. And one way we love people is that we proclaim to them the gospel of Jesus Christ. Whether they want to hear it or whether they don't want to hear it. We find ways to do that. So we want to look at Jesus today and look at how he evangelized. This is not an exhaustive study. We're just going to look at some snapshots in the Gospels of who he is. Now, Jesus picked 12 men, the disciples. And his purpose was 
he knew he wasn't going to be here this long, right? He knew he had a three-year ministry and it was going to end with him on the cross and making the, the payment for the sins of the world. He knew that. So he knew he had to train these men to be able to carry on the message because it wouldn't do any good for him to come and do what he did and die and have nobody there to be witnesses and to carry the message forward. No one to proclaim the gospel. And so he picked these 12 men and they, they lived with him for three years and they got a chance to watch him. And I don't know about you, but it's one thing to be told something. It's another thing to watch somebody. There's always things you pick up, aren't there? When you're just watching people as opposed to them just telling you something. Even things they forget to tell you, you pick up because you're just watching them, right? So we don't have the privilege of having Jesus with us today physically and taking us around all over the hill country proclaiming the gospel and us being with him every day. We would love that. But what we do have is we do have four books of the Bible. Four accounts of Jesus' life. And so I don't know what we do when we have our time in the Word. Or what we look for when we have our time in the Word. Obviously, one thing we always look for is how God loves us. And what the gospel means to us. Because that gives us power to change our lives. So we're always looking for that and holding on to that. Another thing we're looking for is with Jesus is how did Jesus interact with people? What did that look like? Now, people have all kinds of ideas of what a holy life is, don't they? I mean, we've had times in church history where living a monastic life was seen to be very holy. What did that look like? I left the world. I went off into a, a building, a, a convent or whatever, and I, I stayed there and I prayed and I read the Bible and I prayed and I read the Bible and I was by myself to get away from the world and all that. Only problem we found was we, we were sinner, sinful people and we took that in there with us, so it kind of caused a problem. <laughs> the problem with that idea is that you're not going anywhere. You're not making connections with anybody. So you're living this life all by yourself. So how can you be a light if it's covered up? Or if it's enclosed in a monastery, right? Great idea, just not a what? Not a biblical idea. Do we see Jesus doing this? No, we don't. We see Jesus sometimes taking his disciples off to the side to rest and to what? And to be taught. But we don't see Jesus going in, building a monastery and going into the monastery. He was out among the people. Let's look at Matthew chapter 9, verses 35 through 38. So this is one little snippet of Jesus' life. Look at verse 35. He says, And Jesus went throughout all of the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every disease and every affliction. So what do we see with Jesus? Was he just hanging out in Nazareth? Was he just hanging out in Capernaum? No. 
Jesus was going, wasn't he? And it says he was going to what? All the cities and all the villages. And he would stay there for a while and he would proclaim the gospel. And there were certain cities who would reject his message and he would just do what? He would leave and go somewhere else. And later we have these statements that Jesus makes where he says, Woe to you, Kerizim, and woe to you, Bethsaida. And what's he saying? I came to you with the gospel of the kingdom and you did what? You rejected it. So he was going to people. He got rejected. The Son of God, the Messiah, the one that Israel was looking for, was rejected by his own people. But he went. So he's going to these people. Notice that he's not just going there to teach. He's definitely teaching. But what else is he doing there in that verse? Yeah, he's classing out unclean spirits. He's uh, healing people of disease and affliction. He has got his sleeves rolled up, and he's in what? Involved in people's lives, isn't he? People have needs, don't they? And so we're not just to proclaim the message. We're also to come into their life. Notice this. He's out. He's moving. And look at this in the next verse. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion for them. You know, um, it's easy for us to be a compassionless people, especially if we're self-centered. If it's all about us, we really don't care about somebody else's situation as long as our situation is going good, right? Jesus was out among the people, and when he saw them, out of his heart came what? Compassion. If you've been transformed by the gospel... And you're being changed from being a self-centered person to being a God-centered and other-centered person. As you get out among people, you should have what? Compassion. There should be concern. I don't know about you and your policies, but if you ever have a problem with somebody, what's the use of the best protocol? Is to meet with them so you can see them And so it's not just an argument going on, but you're actually talking to a person, right? I mean, how many men do you settle your fights with your wives over email or text? That's a disaster waiting to happen. What did you mean by that? You know I'm always right things, honey. No, you do what? You sit down face to face. Because you're more likely to have what? Compassion. And understanding, care. So Jesus saw the crowds. He was out among the people, and as he's out among the people, what happens? He develops compassion. I think a lot of times what we want is we want to have compassion, and then we what? Go, right? Once I get enough compassion built up, then I'm going to do what? I'm going to go, right? No, it works the other way around. As you get out among the people, and you're willing to be involved in people's lives, you're going to come across people that you have compassion for. And you're going to want to be involved in their lives. He saw that the crowds, he, saw, he had compassion for them because they were what? Harassed and helpless, like sheep without a shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, The harvest is plentiful and the laborers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. 
So Jesus saw the people rightly, didn't he? They were people without a shepherd. They were sheep who were lost. And he cared about them. And then what does he tell his disciples to do? Pray. That the Lord will send out what? Labors. Well, what have you been doing since we started this study? Praying that God will give us opportunities and praying that he'll do what to our hearts? Change our hearts, right? Because if we're a Christian who's self-centered, we're not going to share the gospel. Let's just be honest. Unless somebody's watching us and we know we have to do that to make sure we keep our image, right? So we need to go. So the first thing we see from Jesus is we need to be among people. We're made to be among people. And we're made, I mean, how do you put salt on meat if you don't put it with the meat, right? I mean, you put the salt over here and the meat over here, it's going to taste really good. No. You have to put the salt on the meat, right? It has to permeate the meat or you put it into a... You based it in something before, right? It has to permeate. We're meant to be that way. At College Plus, we're always trying to help people figure out their life purpose. I feel like telling them, I don't need to, I don't, you don't need to figure out what your life purpose is. God tells you what your life purpose is. Your life purpose is what? To love him with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Love your neighbor as yourself. And make disciples wherever you go. Right? Now, that's your life purpose. I don't care what, what, what field you go into. Now, you get to choose where you want to do that, right? Do you want to do it in finance? Do you want to do it in business? You know, do you want to do it with the airlines? Do you want to do it in law? Do you want to do it in education? Do you want to do it in criminal justice? I mean, you know, what, or whatever the field is, do you want to do it in accounting? You choose where you want to do that. But when you choose that, you're now picking an area in which you're going to be the what? Salt and light, right? A lot of us have hobbies, or we should have hobbies. And we go, well, we don't have time for hobbies. We have to be about God's work. Well, I love old cars. Great. And I'm going down to this event where all these old cars are being shown. Great. You're now a minister to the what? To the antique car people, right? Oh, I love baseball, and I just want all my kids to play baseball. Great. Let's go down and sign up for Little League Baseball. And you're going to be a light where? To Little League Baseball. You name it. Or I just want to be an entrepreneur and do whatever. Okay, great. This, this desire you have is putting you into a group of people in which you can share the gospel. So your interests, are they unholy? No, they can be. But a lot of them aren't. They're, they're, I, I love this. this I'm, I'm excited about flying or, or whatever the situation is. Something's captivated your attention. And a lot of times we feel like, oh, that's terrible. I shouldn't do that because, you know, God just wants me to pray all the time and read the Bible all the time. No. Those interests push us out into the world and cause us to be with people who don't know the gospel. Okay. Who could be on more mission than Jesus?
what's the first? When we look at Matthew 28, 18 through 20, we see this command. He says, what? Go. Jesus isn't telling you to do something he didn't do. Amen? Who went farther for men than Jesus? Who came from glory, from fellowship with the triune God, and put on what? Flesh. Let's go to Philippians chapter 2. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. What an application that has to evangelism. How do we put others ahead of ourselves? Are we concerned more about their destination and where they're going to spend eternity? Or is it really kind of like the people who have a ticket on the plane? I got my ticket. You don't have a ticket. That's the way it goes. Should have planned ahead. We're on the way. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. This is the heart of evangelism, isn't it? We're interested about the name of Jesus being worshipped. And we're interested about the souls of people. Have this mind among yourselves, which is in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God something to be grasped, but made himself nothing, taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. And he found in human form, he humbled himself to become obedient to the point of death. Death on the cross. Jesus was high and exalted. And he humbled himself to become a man. And he humbled himself to die. And he humbled himself to die on the cross. That men might be saved. And he walked among men for 33 years. And he didn't just hang out with the upward successful people, did he? He really didn't do that. You'd think he'd be hanging with the Pharisees and the Sadducees and being on the end and talking about all this stuff and how we're going to take Israel away from Rome and we're going to do all this great stuff. No, he didn't. So Jesus, when he commands us to go, you can't go as far as Jesus went. You can't. Tim flies to the farthest place on this earth. He still hadn't gone as far as Jesus went. So he calls us to go. Why do we have to go? Because nobody's coming. Unless the Spirit's drawing them. Most people aren't coming looking for God. They're running in the opposite direction. And that's why he tells us to go. Look at Mark chapter 2. Verses 15 through 17. So here's Jesus. <clears throat> He's working on picking out his disciples. And Matthew comes to follow Jesus, and Matthew throws a party for all of his undesirable friends. They were all undesirable friends. 
Tax collectors were undesirable people. People hated tax collectors because you always taxed people as much as you could. So the more you taxed, the more you got to keep for yourself. So Matthew throws his party. And the Bible says, and Jesus was reclined at table in his house. Many tax collectors and sinners were reclining with Jesus and his disciples. For there were many who followed him. And the scribes of the, of the Pharisees, when they saw that he was eating with sinners and tax collectors, said to his disciples, why does he eat with tax collectors and sinners? Doesn't he know these people are people we don't reach out to? They are worthless people. They're people who have no value. It just shows, Jesus, you're not very holy because you are with these people. And when Jesus heard it, he said to them, those who are well have no need of a physician. But those who are sick, I came not to, not to call the righteous, but sinners. Jesus went after the people who were sick. The Pharisees and Sadducees didn't feel they were sick. So Jesus says, guess what? You don't need a physician. You think you're fine? Go ahead. These people need a physician. God calls us to love all people. Not people just like us. I mean, for Jesus to love anybody on the earth means he loved people who were not like him. Mm -hmm. Right? Mm -hmm. He's God. He's holy. He's always existed. He's all-powerful. He's all-knowing. He is so high above who we are, and yet, he sits down at table with people who are considered outcasts. So if we're going to be like Jesus, we need to be among people. We need to have compassion on people. We need to go to people who are despised by our culture. And there's a whole category of people that fit that one, don't they? There's a lot of people who are displaced in our culture. Or their lifestyle isn't acceptable by certain people who go to church. Do we find ourselves with them? Do we care about them? Or are we more concerned about who we associate with? Turn to Luke 19, 1 through 10. Again, we're just taking snapshots of Jesus' life. These words are amazing. God's word is living and active, right? Because you have the Holy Spirit. It's like there's just more to this picture than just the words on the page in there. It's amazing, isn't it? It's like you have 3D glasses on, right? Luke 19, 1 through 10. So Jesus entered Jericho and was passing through. And behold, there was a man named Zacchaeus. He entered Jericho and was passing through. And behold, there was a man named Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and was rich. So was he on the happy list? <laughs> was he on the most light list? And why was he rich? We're going to find out, aren't we? And he was seeking, and he was seeking to see who Jesus was. 
But on account of the crowd, he could not because he was vertically challenged. <laughs> I can't relate to that. Anyway. <laughs> yes. So he ran ahead and climbed up into a sycamore tree to see him, for he was about to pass by. And when Jesus came to the place, he looked up and he said to him, Zacchaeus, hurry and come down, for I must stay at your house. So here we have this picture, right? Jesus is walking through Jericho. And you know Jesus always gathers a what? A crowd. There's just people everywhere. And the amazing thing about Jesus is, if you look at this verse here, he notices Zacchaeus. Would you and I have noticed Zacchaeus? We've been busy signing autographs. You know, we wouldn't have seen Zacchaeus. Jesus saw him. See, when you become an imitator of Jesus, you see things other people don't see. You see people other people don't see. You see needs other people don't see. But if your life is all about yourself and what's my agenda for the day, I mean, how many people do we pass by every day? Hundreds? Thousands? It's just amazing how many people pass by. Not saying we have to stop for everyone, but are we, are we looking? See, Jesus was looking. So Zacchaeus, hurry and come down, for I must stay at your house today. That's called um, forced hospitality. <laughs> I'm here. I'm coming to your house. He didn't even wait to be invited. He invited himself, didn't he? Zacchaeus was elated, wasn't he? So he heard and came down and received him joyfully. And when he saw it, and when they saw it, who's they? The religious leaders. They're always there watching, aren't they? They're like the paparazzi. They're right there. But they're always watching to see what Jesus shouldn't do because we have a list of things you should and shouldn't do, right? And you shouldn't go there. <clears throat> so when they saw him, let's see, I lost my place here. So when they saw it, this is, they, they all grumbled. They were accusing Jesus, weren't they? You're not holy because of who you're going to hang with. He was gone in to be with, he has gone in to be with the guest of a man who's a sinner. And you're not? So Zacchaeus, so here they are, they go in to eat, and Zacchaeus stands up in the meal and said to the Lord, Behold, Lord, the half of my goods I give to the poor. So he's had this meal with Jesus, and his life is what? Changed. Changed. And Jesus doesn't say, hey, I got, I got some things you need to do. You need to go ahead and go, get rid of half your money. He didn't say that. This man, out of his own heart, that's been transformed, says, I want to give half of my, half of my uh, goods to the poor. And then, he, then we started getting, now it's time for restitution, right? And if I have defrauded anyone of anything, which he had, this is why he was rich, I restore it fourfold. If I took $500 from you, I'm going to restore it 2000 And Jesus said to him, today, salvation has come to this house. 
since he is also a son of Abraham. Now, was he a son of Abraham? He was a physical son of Abraham, right? But he wasn't a spiritual son of Abraham. And that day he became what? A spiritual son of Abraham. And he was seeking to see, let's see, what did I do here? And then the last verse, for the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. Luke 19.10. The Son of Man came to do what? Seek. Save the lost. We're called Christians. Little Christ. If we've been changed by Him, we need to be what? Seeking to save lost. He came to seek and save. Seek and save. You're not where you are in this world by happenstance. You're here in this world by the providence of God. We're in this time period. And it's going to be a challenging time period. But we've already heard in Jude that God's going to keep us, right? And he's going to present us blameless and before him with great joy. And he's told us we need to what? Keep ourselves in the love of God. And part of that obviously is building on our faith through the word. Praying and asking for the grace we need to continue to stand as the flood comes in. And looking to see him coming. That gives us strength to stay in the love of God. And then as we are anchored in the love of God we can reach, we can seek and save who? The lost, right? Jesus' life is amazing. He had no need to do what he did. He didn't need to come. He didn't need to live a perfect life. He didn't need to die. He could have simply said, we're going to wipe you all out. And it would have been completely just. Completely just. We all deserve hell. We all deserve to be wiped out. We all deserve to have a second flood. This world deserves a second flood. Would you say amen? Absolutely a second flood. And yet, he didn't have to. But because of who he is. As a God who loves He came to seek and save the lost. May God give us grace to become like Jesus. We've talked about reading through the book of Acts. Hopefully you're working your way through Acts because Acts gives you the impetus of these people and what their life was about. And if if we're not careful, evangelism finds itself on the back burner. And then we look at the life of Jesus in the four Gospels. And I would encourage you to be reading at least one of the Gospels just a little bit every day. Just a little snippet of Jesus' life and just soak on it a little bit. Don't just race through it. Sit down and read eight verses or ten verses or a little story. And just think about it. And think about what it tells you about who Jesus is. And think about what it says about who you and I need to be. For us to make disciples 
of other people who won't evangelize, we have to first be changed, don't we? We can't disciple people in something we're not doing. And it starts with imitating Jesus. Okay, let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for Jesus. We wouldn't be here today without him. We wouldn't be forgiven. We would be in a desperate situation of knowing that any moment we could die and be off into an eternity without him. Receiving the just payment for our sin. Lord Jesus, we praise you and thank you for the gospel. Thank you that you chose to be the propitiation for our sin. To satisfy the wrath of God. We are grateful that we are adopted into your family. And Lord, in that adoption, we stand firm in the midst of a world that is moving farther and farther away from who you are and what you require. And yet, Lord, in the midst of this flood of people being swept away by sin, you have called us to be ambassadors. You called us to get our boat out and to get the life preservers out and to notice even the man in the tree wanting to see Jesus. Father, I pray that you would do a work in our hearts that we become a merciful people, that we would not consider our position to be because of our own doing, but totally by the grace of God. And Father, since that's the case, that we would be merciful to even the most despicable of people. And God, you might give us the words and the care and the love to reach those who need you. Father, I pray that it would be true about us that we come to seek and to save the lost like our master. In Jesus' name, amen.